Well, as was mentioned earlier, we are continuing our summer Heroes of the Faith series. Today, however, we're looking at a barrier-breaking hero. Those who did something out of the ordinary, who went beyond what people thought was possible. And I'm looking at Luke. Um, Luke is a very interesting character. Um, He is unique, and we want to learn a little bit more about him. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, the first four verses. I invite you to hear God speak to us through even these words of Scripture. As Luke begins, he writes, Many people have already applied themselves to the task of compiling an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used what the original eyewitnesses and servants of the Word handed down to us. Now, after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning... I have also decided to write a carefully ordered account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I want you to have confidence in the soundness of the instruction you have received. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we take a look at Luke, he is a little bit of a unique character. He was born in 89 in Antioch. We've heard that city before in Scripture. He's in a province of Syria of the Roman Empire. He died at age 84 in Thebes. At the time, Thebes was part of a province that I have decided not to try to pronounce, but still Roman Empire. Today it is Thebes, Greece. And you can go to Greece and see the traditional place where Luke has been laid to rest. Luke was a physician by trade. That was what he worked at. And that's going to become key as we learn a little bit more about him. He's mentioned three places outside of the books that he writes, at least. He's mentioned in Philemon, the first chapter, in Colossians, the fourth chapter, and in 2 Timothy, in the fourth chapter. And there is a little verse in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 18, which says, We are sending the brother who is famous in all the churches because of his work for the gospel along with him. So as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he said, somebody's coming to bring some stuff to you, and I'm going to send with him the the person who's pretty famous. You all know who he is, and he doesn't name him. We have good reason to believe that that is Luke. Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. Though he was certainly alive, he is in Antioch, and he is not part of Israel to have heard of Jesus while he was in his ministry. He comes to believe later Because he says as he opens his gospel that others have collected these things and they've used the eyewitness accounts and so have I. I have used the eyewitness account. Now here's what's unique about Luke. Luke is probably a Gentile. It was the Romans and the Greeks who trained physicians to treat people. It was a vocation in Rome and Greece. It was not a vocation among the Hebrew people. The priests took care of that based on the Old Testament law about cleanliness and disease. And there were trained midwives who not only helped birth babies, but who helped with those home remedies and naturopathic ways of trying to help you recover from a bad cold or a skin infection, those kinds of things. But to call him a physician, as he is called in Scripture, indicates more than likely to us that he is a Gentile. Not to mention... As Paul writes about him, he talks about in one of his letters about the only Jews working with me are these. And then he goes on and then he mentions Luke later. 
You heard me say when we've talked before about Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos that it's unlikely that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It reads nothing like anything else that he wrote. And where that's been tradition, most biblical scholars feel like it was maybe written by Apollos or possibly by Priscilla, more likely Apollos, who wrote it. If that's true, then Luke writes more of the New Testament than any other author. Luke and Acts compose about 25% of our New Testament. Don't miss the significance of a faith that is emerging out of the Jewish faith with a Jewish Messiah who is the Savior of the whole world to have a quarter of their holy scriptures, what would become sacred canon to us, be written by a person who is not Jewish. Luke focuses very much in his gospel on the fact that the original intention of God was to save the whole world. He points repeatedly to Isaiah, especially Isaiah 49, 6, as saying the God was always intending to save the whole world, that all should come. And what is happening now with this movement is the fulfillment of what God said would happen. Like I said, Luke traveled with them on occasions and was not an eyewitness, but he does a really good job of writing a historical account. He's quite accurate in a time when that kind of accuracy wasn't as important as it is now. Very often when we talk about somebody writing something down, we're looking more for a court reporter who captures every single word exactly as it was said in the order it was said. Whereas in that day, they weren't quite as worried about that kind of capturing it. But Luke gets titles correct. He gets cities correctly placed and identified. And he describes for his readers things they might need to know as someone who wasn't Jewish, who didn't have a Jewish background. I also believe that Luke interviewed women. I think he sat down with Mary, Jesus' mother, and asked her for more information. He has the most elaborate story of the birth of Christ of any of the Gospels. It's the one we go to on Christmas Eve to read the story. But he says in there that she treasured these words in her heart. Friends, that's something a woman says when she's telling a story about something. He places women in here. He lists them among disciples. He places them in different places as bearing testimony in a culture where women, the women's testimony was not valued. In Israel at the time, women were, could not testify. When it says you need two witnesses, two to three witnesses to affirm everything, they meant two to three men. And yet Luke places women prominently in his story and reaches out to Gentiles. His is a barrier-breaking collection of the gospel. It was not the earliest one written. You may have heard me say, if I were ordering the New Testament, I would have put John's gospel first. Then I would have done Mark's because it's the shortest, and Matthew and Luke quote so much of him. And I would have put Luke last, right by Acts, his other volume. Originally, Luke and Acts were one work, um, two letters, but they put them on the same scroll. We've now divided them and placed them separately. But imagine what we wouldn't know if Luke hadn't written those gospels the gospel and Acts. We wouldn't have had all those details about the night that Jesus was born. We wouldn't have the history of the church, of James and John being arrested, 
of Paul's conversion, of him being sent to be the apostle to the Gentiles, of how the early church spread, of the great conclaves that they had to figure out how they're going to be a religion that has Gentiles and Jews in it. Do we make the Gentiles become Jewish? Look just like us and act like us in order to be Christian? And they come to the conclusion, no, no. It's going to look different among different people. He's quite a barrier breaker for us. He's not the only barrier breaker that we could talk about. In the North Alabama Conference, we give away an award every year called the Louise Branscombe Barrier Breaker Award. It's awarded by COSRO, which is the Committee on the Status and Role of Women. And I'm on the board of that. And so we choose a female minister to recognize who has done something extraordinary, has gone the extra mile, done something that others might have said impossible. And every year I'm amazed, even by the nominations that people submit of what people are doing, lay people as well as clergy, in their church to make a difference. A man named Robert Roger Bannister is another barrier breaker. 1954, he was the first man to run a mile in less than four minutes. I cannot imagine four minutes. It takes me four minutes to walk from here to my office and back. And prior to that, doctors and scientists said it was impossible. It couldn't be done. The human body was not made to move that fast. It couldn't be done until Roger did it. Another man is Roderick Sewell. He competes in Ironman competitions. I don't know if you're familiar with Ironman competitions. It's a pretty intimidating thing. You start out by swimming about two and a half miles in the open ocean. Then you get out dripping wet and get on a bicycle and ride 102 miles. Get off your bicycle, put on your track shoes, and run an entire marathon, 26.2 miles. All in one day. You have to be able to do it in less than 13 hours to even be allowed to compete. And they do it in significantly less. I would drown before I got through swimming. But Roderick Sewell? Roderick Sewell does that without legs. He was born without tibias in both of his legs. And before the age of two, had to have them amputated just above the knee. He has prosthetics. He swims and bicycles and runs a marathon length on prosthetic feet. I can't run from here to my house. Roderick does something that most people would say was impossible. Our own John Wesley was a barrier breaker. In his day and his time, the word of God was properly proclaimed in a chapel by a proper priest in a proper robe, standing at a proper pulpit, reading from a pulpit edition of the Bible. And John Wesley dared to step into a pulpit and talk about grace. Unmerited, unearned, available to everybody, grace. He got run out of every chapel he preached in, sometimes pretty violently. They would storm the pulpit and drag him out, slam the door behind him, don't you ever come back in here. Got to where nobody would let him preach. 
Nobody would let him in their chapel. So he began to preach on the streets, and that would attract mobs. And so city officials said, you can't do that anymore. You're inciting riots, and we can't have it. You can't preach here. At one point, it got so bad, the only place he could preach was on the plot of ground he owned, which was his father's burial plot. He stood on his father's grave and preached grace and Jesus to anyone who would listen. From there, he began to preach in fields and under trees and in barns and in homes and in courtyards, wherever people would let him come and talk about Jesus and about grace and forgiveness. It was scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. He was an ordained Anglican priest and the rest of them were ashamed of him that he would do that. We lift him up as a hero, but there was a whole lot of people not liking before he got to where we called him a hero. And it wasn't the last thing John Wesley did that was barrier-breaking. I want to get my dates right. In 1787, John Wesley authorized a woman named Sarah Mallet to preach the gospel. First time a woman had been allowed to preach 1787. Now John Wesley wasn't more sure about this women preaching either. He wasn't sure that the, the scripture allowed for that. He just wanted to be sure he was being faithful. But he began to go and he had allowed them to exhort. They could encourage, but they couldn't preach. And as he began to travel to places where Methodist revival had broke out and the women were exhorting and they were crossing that line into delivering biblically-based sermons, he saw the power of God. He saw people responding, receiving Christ, coming to faith. And what he said was, okay, I see God at work and I want to be where God is. I want to be where God is at work. And he went back to Scripture and he dug into it and he poured over it and he came to the conclusion that those verses did not prohibit women from being in the pulpit in all times and all places. And he opened the doors to women in a way that was scandalous at the time as well. The first woman church planter in the United States was a Methodist. Her name was Isabella Bonefree. We know her better as Sojourner Truth. A lifelong Methodist, an emancipated slave in New York State, founded Kingston Methodist Church in 1827. So we talk about now, most of the church planting movements are interested in the 35-year-old male planting a church in, in suburbia. In Methodism, a freed slave planted a church in 1827. There are so many barrier breakers out there. People who have done things that would have been said were impossible to do. And do you know why they did that? Because they believed God more than what people said. Nowadays, there's a great move and a great push to want to discount a lot of the miracles. Well, maybe God, did, maybe Jesus didn't really resurrect the boy on the way to his funeral. Maybe he was just unconscious and Jesus knew it. Or there might have been something when they rubbed the mud on that person's eyes, something in the mud helped them to see better. And I don't know how they fed that many people. Friends, I don't believe any of that. I believe that the God who created this world 
healed the lame and made the blind to see and raised the dead and fed thousands from a few fish and a few loaves. And I believe that that same God is our God and still does those very same things. He resurrects dead people, dead cold hearts, and dead churches. He lets those of us who are spiritually blind see. He softens hard hearts. He gives us hands and feet to help those around us to see the needs of the world around us. And by the power of this Holy Spirit sends us to meet those needs. Each and every one of us can be a barrier breaker if we are willing to be. There will never be a mountain too high, a valley too low, an ocean too wide, or a barrier too firmly in place that the living God cannot help us break through it if we believe. Both Mark and Matthew capture Jesus saying, nothing is impossible with God. All we need to break barriers is to believe the Word of God. Let us pray. Amazing, almighty, miracle-working God, we gather this morning to praise and worship Your holy name. Lord, come and move among us. Be the miracle-working God that You are. Help us to break through every barrier that tries to hold back the Word of God. Let us be Your children who go forth from here declaring the grace, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness, the righteousness of You in a world that doesn't want to hear it. Make us steadfast and undaunted by any barrier. In the name of Christ, Amen.